You're listening to The Thriving Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Sanchez, and this is episode one, how to handle emotions that feel terrible. Welcome to The Thriving Nurse Podcast. This is the podcast for nurses who know that to take care of your patients and your families, first, you need to take care of yourself. If you're ready to create a balanced, beautiful, and bold life, you're in the right place. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming to hang out with me for this first episode. If I sound a little out of breath, it's because I just got done busting out some serious dance moves with my baby girl. And I think I thoroughly exhausted her. I think I thoroughly exhausted us both, but she passed out in her crib before I even got out of the room. So hopefully she'll be napping long enough for me to crank out this episode of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to handle negative emotions. Why do nurses need to be able to handle negative emotions? If you're asking the question, you're probably not a nurse. (laughs) Because we all know that as nurses, we feel the whole range of emotions. We feel all the wonderful emotions. We feel gratitude and compassion and love and pride and all these great things. But we feel the other end of the spectrum too. We feel irritation and stress and overwhelm and disappointment and fear. We feel it all. So we need to be able to handle these negative emotions to know what to do with them. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we jump into this episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My name's Abby Sanchez and I'm a night shifter on a cardiac floor. I have been a nurse for just about four years, and before I went into nursing, I got a bachelor's degree in psychology. And so I love the work that I'm doing now as a wellness coach for nurses because I get to apply my nerdy passion for how the brain works with my current experience as a nurse. I know that as nurses, it's really hard to practice self-care. My morning exercise routine tends to look more like a circus act because I've got my toddler climbing on my back and my miniature Australian shepherd jumping on me trying to get a belly rub. So I get it. (laughs) Sometimes we have the best of intentions, but even those things that we know we're supposed to do to practice self-care just don't happen. So what has worked for me is... I love putting on a podcast when I'm driving around or folding laundry or doing dishes because then I can keep being productive, but I also feel like I'm learning and growing. And so if I'm getting to tag along with you while you're running some errands, then thanks for bringing me along with you and keep up the good work. All right, so let's jump into this week's episode. Today we're talking about how to handle all those negative emotions we feel. In our lives, we fear negative emotions. Have you noticed that? We try to avoid them at all costs by covering them up with short-term pleasures. I call this buffering. Let me explain what buffering is. So think about when you were in middle school. If you had a boy that you had a crush on and you wanted to hang out with him, but were kind of nervous, you like didn't know if he liked you too, and it could be awkward, and so you'd convince your best friend to come along. In middle school, I was a professional buffer, or I think the other name for that is a third wheel. (laughs) I would tag along with my best friend and the boy she liked to be kind of a cushion 
to make things a little more comfortable for them so they wouldn't have to feel that awkwardness. I just got to feel all the awkwardness as the third wheel. (laughs) But we buffer in our lives all the time because we don't want to be alone with our negative emotions. So we try to bring something else into the mix. We find quick fixes, things that we can do to distract us or cover up that uncomfortable emotion. And that is what I call buffering. And there's a ton. There's a ton of buffers in our society. Think about social media, right? Even if it's just feeling that discomfort of being bored, then you get on Facebook. Or like if you get on the elevator and a stranger gets in, then you're like, oh, this is kind of awkward. I'll just pull out my phone, right? That's a little buffer. There are bigger buffers, pornography or alcohol, those things that help us escape. One of my favorite buffers is sugar, (laughs) particularly in the form of Ben and Jerry's half-baked ice cream. My husband and I, he's actually a nurse too, and we work on the same unit. And before we had our baby, we used to work the same shifts. And so if we had a really rough night, then when we were walking out the door in the morning, because we're both night shifters, we'd be walking out the door in the morning and we'd look at each other and be like, it's a donut day. And so we'd go to our favorite donut place, Richard's Donuts, and get one of their incredible apple fritters. We were buffering. We were using that burst of dopamine that you get when you eat sugar. It floods your brain and feels real good to cover up the discomfort of stress and overwhelm and irritation from our difficult shift. And I'm not saying that we should avoid anything pleasurable or feel guilty for wanting to have fun. I'm all about having fun. That's not the thing. The problem is when we're seeking those quick fixes because we're afraid of experiencing our emotions. And those quick fixes are causing long-term harm. They're taking us further away from our goals and who we want to be. So if I eat a donut every now and then, it's not that big a deal. But if I'm constantly gorging on donuts and other junk food because I don't want to feel stressed out or disappointed or any of those negative emotions, then I might cause some problems for myself. It might not be leading me to the life I want to have down the road. So that's the problem with buffers is they give us an easy out, but they ultimately don't create the life we want. Buffers are kind of our solution to an immediate discomfort, right? It's our escape when we feel those negative emotions starting to come. But we also go to great lengths to avoid feeling negative emotions in the future. And the thing I find fascinating about this is that as we do it, as we try to avoid those negative emotions, we actually end up creating that negative emotion in our life now. I'm sure many of you guys have had a time when one of your friends was dating someone and you could clearly see they were not a good fit for each other. You're like, she is not being herself around him. But the reason your friend is dating this person is because they want to avoid feeling lonely or they want to avoid feeling rejected, right? If this guy breaks up with her, then she's going to feel rejected. And so she's willing to not be herself in order to avoid that feeling. But... She's actually creating loneliness and rejection now because she's dating this person she's not connecting with. She's still longing for a more meaningful relationship and she's rejecting herself. She's basically telling herself, don't be your authentic self because 
he's not going to like you. And if he breaks up with you, then no one else is going to want to be with you either. So she's already rejecting herself in order to avoid feeling rejection. You see how that works? So fascinating. And maybe you can see it in your own life. Maybe in your family or in your relationship, you're doing things out of obligation. So like cooking dinner or grocery shopping or keeping the house clean. You're doing these things out of obligation in order to avoid feeling disappointed in yourself for not being a quote-unquote good mom. But guess what happens when we do things out of obligation? We end up building up resentment. And when we feel resentment, how do we show up around those people, around our families, around our husband? We nag more. We're more irritable. And so then we end up feeling disappointed in ourselves because we're not showing up as the kind of mom we want to be. So because we're doing all these things out of obligation to avoid feeling disappointed in ourselves, we end up behaving in a way that still creates disappointment. We also go to great lengths to prevent our children from feeling negative emotions. Have any of you guys seen the show The Goldbergs? It's about this family like in the 90s and the mom in the show is the best character. They call her the original smother because she is a very smothering mom. She's totally overbearing and she tries to do everything in her power to make sure her children have the perfect life. And in one episode, Barry, the oldest son, auditions for a talent show at his school and he doesn't get in. So in order to keep him from feeling disappointed and embarrassed, the mom goes down to the school and yells at the principal and he ends up getting let into the talent show. And I think he ends up doing like some ridiculous karate routine. And as you can imagine, (laughs) it's a very embarrassing experience for him. So the mom's trying to prevent her son from feeling embarrassment and then she creates this embarrassing situation for him. All these examples are to show that when we're trying to avoid feeling a negative emotion in the future, we often create that negative emotion in the present. It's just maybe a little bit of a different flavor. So fascinating how our brains do that. So I want to ask you, are negative emotions really that scary that we need to go to these great lengths to avoid them? Before you answer, let me tell you what a negative emotion is or what any emotion is. An emotion is your body releasing a hormone and that hormone cycling through your body creating a physical sensation. That's all it is. And our bodies are designed to process those hormones, those chemicals, right? A lot of times we put chemicals into our bodies, things that our bodies are not meant to process, that aren't good for us. And we do that all the time and have no qualms about it. But with negative emotions, those hormones that our bodies are meant to process, for some reason we have all this fear around them. But when I think about it that way, when I'm like, all this is, is my body releasing a hormone and feeling some physiological sensations, some vibrations in my body, then I'm like, we're all getting scammed. Like, (laughs) this isn't that scary. Why are we so afraid of this? That's all any emotion is. And so if that's what our negative emotions are, the things that we fear so much, do we really need to get rid of them in our lives? If a genie came up to you and was like, Say the word and I will make it so you never feel another negative emotion ever again. Would you take them up on that? 
If you asked me that a few years ago, I'd probably be like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds amazing. I'd be super excited about it. But now I would say no. I'm going to say it's going to be a hard no for me on that one, actually. Because I think one of the beautiful things about life is experiencing the whole range of emotions, not just the positive ones. I think the contrast is what makes our lives beautiful. Imagine an artist, if they had a big white canvas, just like pristine, fresh canvas, and they had this idea of what they wanted to paint on it, this beautiful thing, but all they had was white paint. No matter how skilled they are, they're not going to be able to create that picture. And of course, they want the white, they want to be able to use white, but they also want yellow and fuchsia and pretty pastels. And not only that, but they want black. They want puke green sometimes. (laughs) They want the whole spectrum. And that's how I think of our emotions in our lives is, yeah, we want the ones that feel good, but having the contrast is what makes our lives beautiful and interesting. I love the way Brooke Castillo teaches this concept. She teaches that our lives are supposed to be 50% positive emotion and 50% negative emotion. And to me, that is a huge relief (laughs) because I think part of the fear around negative emotions is we think they're a signal that something has gone wrong in our life. We're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm feeling discouraged. Something's wrong. My life is broken. I need to fix it. So then we go buffer, right? But if we just know that our lives are supposed to be 50-50, then it's like, oh, this is just part of that 50%. This is just the time in my life when I feel irritated. It's all good. And we talk about emotional balance all the time. We're like, oh, I want to feel emotional balance. (laughs) But we're totally lying when we say that. If we truly wanted emotional balance, we would have already subscribed to that 50-50 rule. Because that's balance, right? 50% good, 50% bad. But that's not what we're saying we really want. What we want is maybe 80-20. 80% of the time, we want to feel good and happy and comfortable And we know that we can't always feel that way, but if we could just take 20% uncomfortable emotions, we'd really prefer that. That's not balance, my friends. Balance is 50-50. If you can embrace that, then when you're feeling those negative emotions, you won't have to fear them. It'll be like, okay, this is just that time. This is that 50% of my life that feels a little uncomfortable. And I think that is a beautiful thing. And the cool thing is with the 50-50 rule is that you can choose a lot of what you want in that negative 50%, that uncomfortable 50%, I should say. It doesn't have to be negative. It can be uncomfortable, but maybe it's pushing you to grow. Maybe you're challenging yourself or stretching yourself to achieve a goal. Are any of you guys long distance runners? I am not. Um, I ran a half marathon several years ago and It'd be cool to do more. I want to, but I'm not the type of person who loves running just to run. Um, You know, in middle school and high school, I played soccer and lacrosse and basketball, and and I love being active and playing sports. So I did a lot of running, but I enjoyed it because I was doing those other things. But some of you guys are like crazy runners. Like I have a friend who's run several marathons. And running a marathon, that's a huge accomplishment. Like, that's so awesome. And it's awesome because it takes a lot of dedication and hard work to do it, right? 
if it didn't take any effort, we wouldn't be like, oh, that's so cool. It'd be like if someone walked up the stairs, we're like, okay, good for you. Like, (laughs) that's not a big deal. But because of all the effort it takes, all the determination, it's a really huge accomplishment. So it feels amazing when you do that. And while you're running it, it can feel really good too, right? Runners get that runner's high. Their body's full of endorphins and it feels really amazing. But that's just 50% of it. All those good things, the feelings of pride and the runner's high, that's 50%. There's another 50% that feels pretty terrible. My friend I was telling you about who runs marathons, I remember after she ran her first marathon, I went to her house to hang out and she opened the door and was wearing this giant like sleep shirt, basically, (laughs) because it was too painful to put pants on. Because during the run, she was wearing these shorts, and as her thighs rubbed together while she was running, the seam of her shorts cut into her thigh, and she had these big gaping wounds from hours of her shorts digging into her. And then she had these big blisters on her feet, and so as she walked around the house, she was like waddling because she didn't want her thighs to rub together. It was so pitiful. I love you, Mal, and I'm so impressed by your athletic abilities, but it was pretty pitiful, right? That was definitely part of that 50%, that negative 50% of running a marathon. But it's okay. You have to be willing to take it all. And if you're willing to do that, you can accomplish some big goals. How about another negative emotion that serves us? Kind of similar, but bravery, right? If you didn't have an element of fear, then it wouldn't be bravery. It'd just be doing something. I don't know what it would be. (laughs) It wouldn't be bravery, though. It takes fear to have bravery and courage. And those emotions can serve us very well in our lives. Think back to when you were a new nurse or even now, if you maybe have a doctor that isn't very open to you advocating for your patients, sometimes it takes some bravery to speak up and be like, hey, This patient needs some help. Like, we need to do something different. I had an experience when I was first starting out as a nurse. Um, It was just about change of shift, and I went in to do, like, one last round on my patients. And I went into one of the patient's rooms, and she was just off. Like, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on, but I was like, something's not right here. And I called a rapid response. So everyone came, you know, the lab, the respiratory therapist, the doctor, the house supervisor, everyone was there. And the doctor came in, asked me what was going on. And I struggled to articulate my concerns. So the doctor walked over to the patient and plopped his stethoscope down on her chest and kind of like rolled his eyes as he was doing it. And then he walked out the door and walked past the house supervisor and looked at him and said, looks like someone needs to go back to nursing school. I was mortified. It had taken a lot of courage for me to call that rapid response. And I was totally embarrassed that I didn't articulate my concerns very well. But in order to cover himself, that doctor ordered some labs and some different things. And turned out that patient had bilateral PEs and ended up going to the ICU. Even if that hadn't been the case, even if everything was totally fine, I'm glad I had that bravery to speak up when I felt off about something. I could have very easily chosen comfort. I could have just given report and gone home, but 
that would have been nagging at me. I would have been wondering, should I have said something? Is everything okay? And so I would rather have the discomfort of putting myself out there and being willing to be embarrassed and have that courage instead of staying silent and have the discomfort of regret, right? So what I'm saying is you can choose with that 50%. Do you want the discomfort of action or the discomfort of inaction? What do you want to choose for your uncomfortable 50%? Because it's going to be 50-50 either way. And you can't choose all of it, right? Like a lot of things happen in our lives that are outside our control. Different circumstances that come up and aren't what we would have chosen for ourselves. But negative emotion can still be very useful in these situations. I think the best example is grief. That's such a useful emotion and it feels terrible. (laughs) feels so bad, right? But it's such an important part of our process to be able to work through those difficult experiences. I have a nephew who has autism, and his parents have been really open about that whole journey for them. They talk about when he first got diagnosed, that at that time, they needed to feel some grief. They needed time to mourn the life that they thought their child would have. Because now they knew things were going to be different. And because they took the time to grieve that, they were able to move through that and embrace all the beautiful things about their situation. But they needed to take that time originally to grieve. So when I'm feeling some negative emotion, that's one thing I like to ask myself. Like, does this feel cleansing? Or am I creating all this unnecessary pain? All right, so we can see that negative emotions can really be useful to us. They can help us process difficult situations and they can push us to do more in our lives, to achieve our goals. So if we don't want to fear them anymore and try to avoid them by buffering, what do we do with those emotions? How do we actually feel them? I think often we think we have to have a big reaction in order to be feeling our emotions. If you're really angry, then maybe you yell or punch the wall or whatever you do to show that you're angry. Or if you're super sad, then you have to have this big hysterical cry. And we think that that is feeling our emotions. But that's actually just reacting to your emotion. And I think we do that because we're so uncomfortable that we almost just use that as a distraction so we don't have to feel the emotion. So... If we don't want to avoid the emotion, we don't want to react to it, how do we just actually feel it? That's what I want to teach you to do now. So the first step is just naming the emotion. A lot of times we're running around feeling all these things and they're white noise driving us crazy, but we don't stop and pay attention to it. So the first step is noticing it and identifying it, naming the emotion. And when you name it, I want you to get as specific as you can. So you're going to name that one word feeling and get really specific. So instead of just saying sadness, I want you to dial in. What kind of sadness? There's so many kinds of sadness. Is it disappointment? Is it loneliness? Is it empathy? Right? Those are so different. So try to really tap into that specific emotion you're feeling. And the more specific you can be, the better. Next, I want you to just be present with the emotion. I imagine that 
it's knocking on the door and I open it up and I say, come on in anxiety, sit down. And I show it into the living room and I'm willing to just sit and be with it. A lot of times when an emotion comes knocking, we open the door and when we see it, we slam the door and lock it and then just peek through the curtains being like, is it gone yet? (laughs) Right? We're scared of it. So instead, I just imagine I'm inviting it in and I'm willing to just sit with that emotion and just be with it. And as you're just present with the emotion, I want you to start noticing how it feels in your body and describe it to yourself, like in in detail, like you're explaining it to an alien who has never felt that emotion before. So if it's anxiety, then to me, that feels like there's a hand around my stomach and it's just kind of squeezing. And then little offshoots of heat go up the center of my chest. And there's this little irritation, not a super strong feeling, but this uncomfortable uneasiness that just kind of keeps poking me right in the center of my chest that just kind of flutters around a little bit. And I feel more and more restless. So I describe that emotion to myself, how it feels in my body. And I picture those things happening. I picture the hand squeezing my stomach. And I picture just little like fireworks, but not happy fireworks, (laughs) going up the center of my chest. So I let those things happen in my body. And I pay attention to them. And I keep naming it. This is anxiety. This is stress. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. And I just be with that emotion. Now, I totally get that when we're feeling emotions, life is continuing around us. Like a lot of times we don't have the luxury of shutting ourselves in a dark room and just being like, all right, I'm going to feel my emotion now. Especially during your shift, if you're feeling some anxiety, it's because you got things to do. You have to keep moving. If your patient's tanking, you can't be like, all right, guys, I'm going to go on a walk and process this stress. (laughs) People are going to be like, um, no, you're not. You're going to stay here and do chest compressions. So we can't always get away from it and go process it. But what I like to do in those cases is you can still name it and identify what it is. And then I imagine I'm putting on a backpack full of that emotion. And I'm like, all right, stress, you're coming with me. I'm carrying you around for a little while. And I'm okay with that because I remember that 50-50 rule right? This is just part of that 50% that doesn't feel so great, but it's okay. That's not a problem. So I put that backpack on. I carry the stress around with me. I don't have to react to it and freak out. And then later, if I have a moment, I can process it and go through those steps. But sometimes I have to just be okay with naming it and carrying it with me. Now, a lot of people ask, well, if I start allowing these negative emotions, isn't that just going to make them stronger? And I want to tell you that it actually is the opposite. Imagine you're on the phone and your child is trying to tell you something. And they're like, mom, mom. And you just kind of push them away and are like, shh, shh, I'm on the phone. And you keep talking. Does that make them stop? Absolutely not. They do not stop. They get louder, right? They're like, mom, mom. (laughs) Until you put down the phone and are like, Hey, I'm on the phone right now. Did you need something? And they're like, yeah, mom, look, I tied my shoe. And you're like, awesome. Now go play. (laughs) And then you can get back to your phone call. 
And that's totally what our brains and what our bodies do. They're like, I'm giving you this emotion for a reason. Pay attention to it. And if we push it away, then it gets louder. It builds up. But if we acknowledge it, then our body can process it and can be like, okay, we're good now. I also like to think of it as a beach ball. Like if you're in the pool and you hold a beach ball underwater, then when you let go, it's going to pop up and explode through the surface, right? But if you just set a beach ball on top of the water, then it just kind of bobs around a little bit. And that's totally what our emotions do. When we try to push them down and resist them, then eventually they explode. But if we just bring them to the surface, they don't do a whole lot. It's not that big a deal. And the cool thing is that as you practice feeling your emotions, then you really start to see that, that emotions aren't scary. A lot of times we think emotions are scary because our experience with them in the past has been us resisting them. So they build up and explode, and that's what we think of as feeling that emotion, is that really intense experience. But once you just get good at feeling the emotion, just kind of taking it at face value, it's like, oh, that wasn't as scary as I thought. It wasn't so bad. And then you're more willing to feel it the next time around. So it takes some practice. All right, so the last thing I want to ask you is if emotions aren't dangerous, and if you truly believed that, who would you be if you were willing to feel any emotion? If you were willing to feel embarrassment or inadequacy or disappointment, who would you be? What could you do in your life? I think that is the key to discovering the next version of ourselves. All right, you guys, thanks for hanging out with me. It was fun. I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. If you like what you're learning on the Thriving Nurse Podcast, then make sure you subscribe and head on over to iTunes to leave a review. That's the best way to help other nurses find this podcast so we can cure burnout together. 